Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for this week's edition of All Things Evangelism. We're going to talk this week about Jesus being lifted up and how that's essential to success in evangelism. I've got my friend Michael Chapman. He's the Gateway yeah. Seventh-day Adventist Church, and you've been there for a little while, Chapel. How long? Just over six months. So I took a bit of time off, a bit of long service leave at the start of 2021 and wow. came on board here in March, just in time for all of this lockdown craziness. What a way to start your new pastoral (laughs) assignment. What a transition, hey? Lockdown, yeah, as if it's not difficult enough to transition into a new church situation. Now you've got COVID on top of it. How are you guys faring over there? Yeah, surviving. Taking a lot of things online, a lot of time in front of the camera, a lot of video editing, and trying to... We're a campus church, so we're on the, the campus of Avondale School, so trying to still care for and be as involved and as missional as possible in the school community as well. It's certainly been a challenge. Yeah, amen. Yeah, it's got to be. And praise God, though, that you're there and you're taking you're taking it on for us and, and for Jesus. Um, yeah, hey, so brother, Seventh-day Adventists, we are really passionate about Scripture. And I think that's a really good thing, right? Like, the Word of God is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. Jesus says, sanctify them with your truth. Your Word is truth. And the Bible talks about how if you don't love the truth, God sends you a strong delusion, so you believe a lie. So Adventists, we really believe, and rightly so, that it's important to know what's true. But at the same time, Jesus, the Son of God who came to the world, he says that he was the truth. Like, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so I just wanted to chat to you, Chapo, for a bit about Jesus needing to be lifted up and Jesus needing to be central to everything we preach and everything we teach because he is the power of God, right? Like, he is God's Son, God's Savior. He's everything to us. In your experience, you you were an Adventist before you came to Christ. Is that true? Before you really understood the gospel of Jesus? For a, for a short time, yeah. So I, I didn't grow up a Christian, and then I became like finding my way into an Adventist church and had Bible studies and was baptized. But it wasn't until probably a good three years after that that I actually really understood the gospel. I like I had there was probably a good three or four years of the beginning of my faith where I was completely convinced that it was my own ability to keep the law faithfully and to, in my own power, experience perfection and sanctification. That was the only thing that was going to ensure that I would have eternal life. So experiencing the gospel, understanding through the book of Romans, it was what Jesus actually accomplished on my behalf was phenomenal. It was a life-changing experience. It's unreal. So do you think in your personal journey that when you were in that time frame of believing that you recommended yourself to God, right? Like that, that you gained approval with God because of what you did. Do you feel like you were led by the Spirit? Was your experience, you know, looking back, do you think, no, I was genuine. Like I was in my ignorance, but at the same time, I really believe I was being saved, even though I didn't understand the mechanics. Oh, absolutely. Were, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just like... Certainly, God was still working in my life at that point, and and working through particular people, and I and I was already working in ministry in a capacity in certain ways in my church, and there's no doubt God was in it, and I was sincere. But I do look on back on it with sadness in my heart, and just think of all of the grief that I lived through, and all of the beating myself up for attaining perfection in my life. That yeah, it's just it's sad that's something that people live through before they've really experienced the I guess the transforming power of the gospel. And were you missional at the time? Were you like outreach focused? Yeah, definitely. definitely. So that was like you were- Sometimes in ways that weren't helpful. Like I used to get Adventist books and try to sneak them into the libraries of other denominational churches and stuff like that. <laughs> like I used to, I was like a, a rampage for Adventism. <laughs> you were like an Adventist terrorist. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's awesome. Dude, when I first gave my life to Christ and I was traveling to a mission school in South Dakota from Florida. 
And my friend and I, we used to, we had, we were all loaded up with Sabbath tracts. And yeah. every time we passed, we probably stopped 50 times, man, from Florida to South Dakota. We'd drive by a Sunday church and notice it. Like, say we were driving slow, we'd always turn in and put like Sabbath tracts all over the yeah. church. And we called it Sabbath Todging the church. So we'd be like, <laughs> yeah, we Sabbath Todged them. And that zeal, that's a good thing, right? Like, that's a positive thing. But who can come to Jesus and have it all figured out and not yeah, have for sure. And, and, and it's certainly like my understanding of, I guess, the person of Jesus and, and of the gospel is still constantly growing and yeah, becoming more special the longer yeah. I, I focus on Jesus. And so do you think that you, okay, so you're doing, you're outreach focused and missional in your thinking. So you're promoting the gospel that you understood, right? Like you're promoting the truth you understood, but it was devoid of the gospel. Do you think it, it, it was harmful? You, you said a bit, you thought you did, you did a bit of harm. Oh, well, yeah. yeah for, I, I, I guess because my focus wasn't on Jesus. My focus was on the things that you had to do. So there was often these these young adult non-denominational gatherings in the town where I lived in Port Macquarie that would happen and, and people would come to town and there'd be like a bit of a hangout vibe and a cafe and some live music. And I would spend the whole day memorizing proof texts on the, so that I could go there and find people to talk about the Sabbath and I could just ask them how, what do you do with this first? What do you do with this first? And, and, and to convince them on the law and on, yeah, that sort of stuff. Whereas I just, I didn't have anything to say about Jesus at the time, which is so weird. It's such I, a, and I still believe what, like, I believe the same stuff now. Of course. I just have a different way of approaching people because I, I honestly think that, yeah, if you're not first compelled by the glory of Jesus and the love of Jesus, then yeah, you're missing the best part. Missing the point. Yeah. It's interesting. Hey, cause like, the Bible says in Ephesians, is it one or two, that we were born dead in trespasses and sins. I think it's like Ephesians 2. So yes. if you're dead in trespasses and sins and you're not alive in Christ and yeah, you don't understand, then what's yeah. the point of the application of the laws of God, right? Like you're just, you're dead. And anything that you do is you're dead. So it's almost, I really, when I hear a story like that, Chapo, I feel like half inspired because that young, passionate experience, so like with that young and that, that that passionate experience you have when you first come to faith, come to believe that the Bible is true. It's like you do those radical things, and it's almost like the Apostle Paul, like when he would go into a Jewish synagogue and like he knows there's a death death penalty for preaching that Jesus is Messiah, yeah. and he does it anyways. Like it's like bold and brave and out there, and you're willing to do that when you're young in faith. But at the same time, like you were saying the basic tenets of the gospel, you didn't understand them. Didn't and, get and, it. And, and, and look, and I think it comes down to my basic philosophy of evangelism is that we are all evangelists. Like every human being in some way or another is an evangelist. It just depends for what. Like I, I went to Lord Howe Island like oh, almost 10 years ago for a 10-day holiday. And it was the best place I've ever... Have you been to Lord Howe Island? I've never been, no. Best, most amazing place I've ever been. I think it's the, the beautiful... The most beautiful thing that in all of God's creation is Lord Howe Island. Like, it's just fantastic. The fishing, the snorkeling, the lifestyle. It's just a beautiful place to be. And I can't stop talking about it. And if ever anyone ever asked me, where should I go on a holiday? I said, if you can afford it, go to Lord Howe. But I'm not receiving any money from their tourism department. I'm not being benefited anyway by continually promoting that people need to go and experience that what I've experienced. So for me, the Greek word for the gospel is euangelion. The Greek word for evangelist is euangelistis, the one who shares good news, the one who, and basically the underlying necessity for successful evangelism is that you can, you experience it to be good. Because if it's good to you, then you're going to want to share it, which is why I think when we're young in our faith, we're experiencing stuff for the first time and it's so good and we haven't felt it before. So we can't help but go and share it. We just have to go and tell other people about it because it's good for me. Like 
you know, you look at reviews online. I buy things that have good reviews and people put reviews up because they've had a good experience with it. And they're like, yeah, I want to go and champion this thing that I bought because I thought it was good. If it's good, if it's good for us, then that natural compulsion to share it is what follows. You just do it. That's such a good point, man. A hundred percent. And I've always thought before I gave my life to Jesus, I was a really evangelistic person for the lifestyle that I lived. It's just along the lines of what you're saying. And yeah. nobody had to teach me. If I saw a movie that I liked, I just would encourage a friend to come watch it with me because I was like, it was a good movie, man. It was so funny or it was so this or whatever it was. I went to a, a, a club or something or I went to a restaurant and the food was amazing. I'd be like, dude, the food there is killer. You got to check yeah. it out. And it's not like you needed to be on a payroll to do it, right? For the store. Right. I, I love what you said. Because it was your good news. Yeah, that was your good news. Yeah, that's so true. So in a way, like you were like promoting truths and an evangelist for truths but you weren't an evangelist at the time for the truth, like for yeah. Jesus. And, and for it was almost like a disconnected reality. There's Jesus. He's a person up there in heaven. But then there's this book with these teachings. And you're going to advance these teachings, which is, that's a noble thing. That's not dishonorable. Because for me, the Bible was fantastic. I had studied Daniel 7 and Revelation 12 and 13. And, this, and I was just like, you're kidding? This stuff's in the Bible? <laughs> yeah. People need to know this. This is amazing. And yep. even without understanding the, how that fits into the bigger picture of what a Christ was accomplishing for all mankind at the time, it was yes. just really cool to see that, hey, the Bible isn't just a, a book of old man's tales and, and, and fairy tales. It's, it's credible. That's what I was pumped up about, even though I hadn't yet truly encountered at least at that, from my perspective at that time, the, the goodness and the love and the mercy of God in the person it of was Jesus Christ. Like, yeah, it was almost like the, the magnitude of the gospel was missing. Like the, the significance of what God was doing in sending his son, in dying for the sins of the world, in resurrecting his son on behalf of humanity, in having Jesus as our priest to send the virtue of that offering to the world, to change the world. And it's all because God loves people and God sees them as his children and is just totally committed at all costs to their survival and to their freedom from the things that hurt them. And it's that's a relational reality. Yeah. And it's not some mechanical thing where, you know, like these ideas form the sum of what we're about. It's, it's almost like maybe your issue. And I think even all of our issue to a degree, to an extent is priorities. It's like not, and that's not priorities. Yeah, I think it'd be, yeah, pri not priorities. There's a different word, but I can't think of it. But like we're giving more importance to something than it deserves. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, I think you're right. And it, But it's also, I don't know, there's something natural about that evangelistic nature that we have as human beings, like to share that good thing. You, you know what I mean? There's something that, that it's not like I'm even trying to, you know, so the question is, okay, if I'm not sharing about Jesus, then what is that missing component that I'm not experiencing it to be so good at the moment? And maybe that's just a prayer point. Maybe that's not something I need to be like focusing more time on, on some certain evangelistic activity or so maybe it's just something yeah. like God totally. set a fire in my heart because it's just not coming out at the moment and that's your business. And what child, what this is, I never thought of this before, but maybe when a person's new in faith, you just have to accept that their witness can never be perfect. They can never be perfectly balanced and understand everything because what like what child can fully comprehend all that their parents do for them? So are there things that my children witness about me? Yeah, they're the things that they love. Oh, my dad took me to the skate park or they tell their friends about, my dad built me a dirt bike you know, track next to the house or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I do things for my sons and they would be like, they'll tell their friends like, oh, look at this. We built, a, my dad built me a jump. All the neighborhood kids come over. And they ride the jump, but they're not like testifying to the goodness of their dad. Like they're just testifying to something their dad did for them and it's moved them. So yeah. like what child could fully comprehend 
the gospel or whatever. And I, I think that's a little comparison there for me. So, bro, we do outreach and evangelistic ministry, and the Sabbath is central. The testing truths, the three angels' messages are essential to what we're up to as a church movement. We believe that God has committed to us a message that's unique amongst Christian communities of faith. But at the same time, Jesus is still the message. And I want to say, when I first came, became an Adventist, you know, this, I literally had this, it's a very worldly way of thinking. But I had this thought, I don't want to tell people what they already know. All churches preach Jesus, like whatever. Churches yeah. preach Jesus, whatever. I'm just going to preach the Pope's the Antichrist and the seventh yeah, day yeah. of the Sabbath. And we're living in the antitypical day of atonement. And when you die, you sleep. And there's a resurrection at the end of time. It's literal. And the second coming is literal and visible. And that whole idea, it's, I had this, I want to one-up you mindset. But that's wow. not what I would have said it was. But I just felt like the typical gospel truths were boring. And it wasn't because I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. I, I, I was saved in the Lord Jesus Christ. Like the yeah. work of the Spirit was manifest in my life. Like I, he changed my life and I appreciated him for it. But I resorted to that carnal pre-conversion disposition when it came to my witness. And I didn't even know that's what I was doing. I was like... Dude, I just, I'm resonating so much, so much with what you're saying. I think it was probably two years ago was the very first time I ever preached on John 3.16 because I was too ashamed to because it was not like I just couldn't bring myself to do it because who wants to listen to a sermon on that? People aren't going to think I'm this great expository preacher if I preach on John 3.16 and insert Psalm 23, the Great Commission or anything like this that are just, oh, people have heard this to death. No one's going to be impressed by a sermon on this topic. So I'm going to preach on something else. And it's such a, it's such a human way of, of looking at it because all the scripture is, is beautiful and needs to be preached and needs to be re-understood. But yeah, Absolutely. Uh, the, the human heart gets in the way and be like, no, I want to exegete something so well and people are going to think it's awesome. <laughs> you want to be like the guy and go, dun, dun, yeah. here it is. And everyone's like, whoa, that's deep. That's amazing. And also like, it's a weird kind of thing. But yeah, I, I just thought it's just a basic gospel sermon, blah, blah, blah. And at the same, okay, there might be something to that in that we have a particular contribution to make. Like I get that. So somebody might say in response to what I've said, but no, Matt, that wasn't a bad thing. That was a good thing because you don't want to preach what people have already heard and already accepted. And so you're going to bring some further truth to them. And yeah, like, I, okay, I can see that. I can get that. But my, that wasn't my disposition. My disposition was more like of an, an ego, a one-up, or we're better, or we're more okay. right. I'm not going to... And I, I would have oh, never... Oh, so it's like any Christian can preach about the gospel, but only Christian an Adventist can, about can that, preach about the Antichrist. to preach yeah. this. And, yeah. and even we're dismissive at it. And also, too, it's just like your mind is not fully developed. Like your comprehension of all that Scripture says is very simple when you're first converted. And I remember, like now, I can affirm two truths at the same time. So if the Bible calls fallen Christianity Babylon, I can accept that while at the same time accepting that all true believers are part of the mystical body of Christ. Mm -hmm. Like two things can be true at the same time. And the word Babylon assigned to, or the term Babylon assigned to fallen Christianity, if Adventists are right in their interpretation of prophecy, it's not a pejorative. It's not an insult. It's just simply saying, hey, in Babylon, they had false concepts of God. So in Christianity, at the end of time, there's going to be false concepts of God mingled in with Christianity. That's not a pejorative. It's not like they're really bad and you're really good because they're part of Babylon and you're part of the remnant. No, it's just simply trying to communicate ideas and concepts through Old Testament imagery. So now I can say that person who loves Jesus, Galatians 3.26, we are sons of God through faith in Christ. Like that's my brother and sister versus, and at the same time, on an institutional, maybe corporate level, there's false concepts of God in that religious 
community of faith. So both of those things can be true. But when you're first converted, that's it's almost like you're incapable of seeing things like that unless you're an intellectual already. Yeah. And, and if you were to have a conversation with Matt from 25 years ago, like young Matt would think you're a heretic now. <laughs> Probably, yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> Young Chapo would be very disappointed in in, in who Chapo is today with his uh, <laughs> evolved understanding of scripture and the gospel. And <laughs> totally sold out, man. You yeah. sold out, and, yeah. and you can. I think to myself sometimes I can sell out because I have friends who so disparage their con- early conversions, and I, I feel a bit uncomfortable with that. It's like where they totally discount the experience they had, and they like publicly apologize for it and stuff. And I wouldn't go that far. Like I have some regrets. By all means, like, mm. but if I, but I believe I was sincere and I had a vibrant experience with Christ and I love Jesus and I didn't do everything perfect, but how could you expect, like a child could feel sorry for mistakes that they made. But if you get to the point where you're like completely down on your past experience, then what are you going to do about your present experience in the future? Like you're going to, yeah. you're going to always be in this constant process of discounting your past experience because it wasn't perfect. And it's, Look, yeah. We've really, we've lost the ability for people to make mistakes, I think today, because a mistake is just that it's a mistake where you were trying to do something or trying to be something and it didn't work out quite right. You know what I mean? Like it was, but the intention might've still been very pure. Absolutely. And yeah, that's it. Hey, and who's going to be perfect? And yeah, we can sometimes be, it's funny because we can be against perfectionism as a theology yeah, and fully be perfectionist with methods. Yeah. Great point. Hey, so bro, Jesus in, in John 12, I want to talk about this for a second. Please. In John 12, Jesus is, it's an interesting text of scripture. He, you can see he's going back and forth in his head about the crucifixion. Yep. And he makes this one statement where he says, what am I supposed to do? I've come to this really challenging hour of time. I'm not going to say to the father, get me out of the situation because this is the reason why I came to the world. And he talks about unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. So you can see he's just bouncing this whole reality around in his head. It's, it's not pleasant. It's very challenging and difficult for him. But he's assuring himself by saying, this is why I came in. Like I came to the world to die for the sins of the world. This is my whole purpose. Yeah. And then he makes that kind of popular statement. Unless if I'm lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men to myself. And that word men is supplied in the English translation. So he's saying, I'll draw all. I'll draw the whole universe to myself. That's exactly right. Yep. Now he doesn't say that I'll save everyone if I'm lifted up. Like everyone will be saved, but I'll draw. So there'll be a, a force that will be enacted or it will be like God will be creating a gravity towards himself if Jesus dies for the sins of the world. So there'll be a drawing power. Yeah, like I've studied that passage before. And, and the idea yeah. of the drawing all is the idea of indiscriminate drawing, like that through his sacrifice, people and any kind of people will see something that is attractive in, that's that's the idea. Like it's, and particularly in relation to the concept of the Jewish people, like that this is blowing the doors off the idea that the Jewish people are the only one who are going to receive special blessings from God. This will go to anyone who is attracted by someone who would give so much. So good. That's a really good point. Well, can I just take it back a few verses, Matt? Yeah, is yeah, that yeah. all right? Because there's yeah, this yeah. awesome interaction and I love it because I think the poor disciples were so often just utterly confused by what Jesus said. Like I reckon they just walked around like talking to each other and were like, dude, did you get that thing that he said back there? Because I totally don't understand what he's talking about. <laughs> like I reckon it wasn't until Pentecost where they really started to like, everything started to make sense. But in verse chapter 12, there's this moment where it says, now there were certain Greeks among those who came to worship at the feast. And then they came to Philip, who was uh, from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. 
And then so Philip, not knowing what to do, says, oh man, these Gentiles want to come and see Jesus. What do I do with that? So Philip goes and tells Andrew and says, Andrew, what do we do? There's these Greeks that want to come see Jesus. So both of them go to Jesus and saying, hey, Jesus, what do we, there's some Greek guys who want to see you. That's a bit unorthodox. So what do we do? To which Jesus responds, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. And he goes on to say, and you can imagine the disciples just uh, being like, thanks, Jesus. We'll go let them know that thing about the grain. <laughs> like it just completely like confusing and made no sense. But we know that often in the New Testament where Jesus talks about being glorified and the glorification is something that took place at the cross. And so Jesus is saying, it's happening. There's Greeks that want to come and know the Son of God. I'm about to be glorified. This grain of wheat is going to be crushed on the ground. It's going to produce so much. And then it picks up that same idea when he comes down later. He says, if I am lifted up, if I am lifted up and put on a cross, speaking of the way of which he was about to die, I will draw people indiscriminately. Because people need this kind of love in their life, regardless of their genealogical background. Amen. Wow. Jesus does not say, if you lift up foundational truths about God, all will be drawn to me. Now, I do think there's a drawing power in fundamental truth. I agree too. Yeah. Fundamental truth reflects Jesus. But like sometimes we, we're, mis- it's almost, man, this is, I thought of so many things and I won't be able to say them all, but thank you for making that point. But Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit want to commune with human beings like a father or a mother wants to commune with their children they want to live in the same house forever i've got three little boys and i want to live with them forever i don't want them to ever grow up and leave but it's not that i don't want them to grow up it's just that i don't want them to leave i want them to always be able to relate to me and i always want to hug them and hold them and tell them that they're my proud boy i love them and so you never you want to commune with them forever and jesus christ does what he has to do to salvage the race and to atone for the sins of the race and to recreate the race in himself and to offer it the spirit and eternal life. And when he's lifted up in our preaching and our evangelism, he's there in heaven. He's going he's gonna to empower us to succeed when we're trying to bring people into that relationship with him, into communion with him on a real level more than he would empower us just for preaching concepts about him or fundamental truths that come yeah. from the Bible. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And look, there was a whole trend like, I don't know, like maybe five years ago where people would say things like, oh, we don't need doctrine. We only need Jesus. Or, or I don't need your theology. I just need Jesus Christ. And it's such a statement to make because our theology informs us who Jesus is. Our theology and our doctrines teach us about how like what he actually accomplished at the cross. And that's what makes him so beautiful and attractive. Like our fundamental teachings are so important because it protects us from the errors about who God isn't, so to speak. Do do you know what I mean? So yeah, that's all really important. But yeah, I think there's something really special. And this is what John 12 tells me is about lifting up Jesus in the context of the one who was willing to come to the earth that he himself created and and in in the skin that he himself breathed into existence in Adam, you know what I mean? And yeah, and take on the sin of the world. I think that's what this passage is teaching us. So good. From my opinion. That statement too, we don't need doctrine, we just need Jesus or however it's articulated. Yeah, I don't know if you've heard that, but I would hear that was like I've the trendy the, thing to say for a while. <laughs> I've heard it a ton of times. It, yeah. just, it used to make me cringe every time I'd hear it because I thought, Jesus is a teaching from the Bible. 100%. It's just such a predictory statement. It just makes no sense. And and you can see over history, like the the 
the biggest victory of the Reformation was the rec- they reclaimed the gospel for because because of bad teaching, That's people right. lost salvation by grace and they lost the love of Christ. And good teaching and good theology brought that back. So, you know, that's, uh, that's it makes you so excited about the gospel, like learning about the history of how much blood, sweat and tears had to go back into reclaiming good well, doctrine. It's and even the explicit testimony of scripture where the apostle Paul says in Titus, I think he says, I may misquote it, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may through sound doctrine, both convince and exhort the gainsayers, like d- tons of places in scripture all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine. Everywhere in scripture, there's this affirmation of the teaching or we the need doctrine good of scripture. Yeah. And so it's very important. And it's, yeah, it's silly. To Dude, G- Galatians. <laughs> yeah. Paul says, if you want to have a skewed version of the gospel and you want to entertain circumcision again, you're cursed. Yeah. And he says a bit more than that, too. Go a little <laughs> bit further with the knife if, you, if that's the line <laughs> yeah. you're going to take. Yeah, he, 1 Corinthians 15 is an entire chapter where he feels it necessary to defend his doctrine of the resurrection. And he's Paul. He wrote the, the, the most beautiful gospel about Jesus. Yeah, man. It's so good that you mentioned that. But the drawing power of Jesus, the drawing power of God is, I want to say, magnified when we're communicating Jesus as the central feature of everything that we promote and that we present. And at the end of the day, if a person is not individually connected to God through Christ, then what they know means nothing, nothing at all. But there, there was so not long after I found the gospel as a young Adventist, I found a book, and I'm sure you've read it before. It's a book by Ty called "In the Light of God's Love." Yeah, it examines a lot of these fundamental teachings and doctrines that we hold onto as Adventists, but puts them in the context of God's love and how that is not just a a list of rules or a certain teaching that is true, but why it is true in the concept of a loving God. And that was just life-changing for me. Like we're doing a, at my church at the moment, because we're doing like an online program, we're not doing sermons, we're doing like an interactive Bible component of our of our content. And uh, we're doing a, a section, This the Bible study series we're doing at the moment is called Putting the Fun Back in the Fundamentals. And it's inspired by that book. It's the idea of looking at our, examining our fundamental beliefs so that we can teach them to our people and refresh their understanding of the things that are core to our faith, but do it in a way that like really shows God to be beautiful and attractive as well. So Chapo puts Jesus in the center of each teaching that we hold. We're just doing a podcast where we're having a conversation and talking about interesting things that relate to evangelism and, and our walk with God. But, and so it's not like, we're not doing an exposition here, but we're talking about the gospel. We're referring to the gospel and that Jesus needs to be central in everything we teach. I'm going to put you on the spot. What is in this, you won't give a perfect answer because this isn't your dissertation on the subject, but what's the gospel? Like we knew, you make mention, people could infer what we think it is, through this conversation, right? Like we believed at some point in time that we recommended ourselves to God through what we did. And that on some level, the basis of our acceptance with God was determined by our actions, right? What we do entitles us to heaven, but we no longer believe that. Correct. But, but okay, so they've heard us say those things, but how would you, what is the gospel? And we won't be comprehensive. We've only got a minute or two left, but what do you say to that? I, I would say that Jesus has made it possible for us to inherit eternal life based on what he has done and not what we have done. And that he did that by dying on the cross and by sealing that with his resurrection. And a huge part of the gospel is that he is returning to complete salvation at the second coming to take us to be with him forever. The gospel is the work of Jesus, not the work of man. Amen. I agree with that. And so what do you do? What do you say in response to somebody 
Because immediately Adventists, we respond to that, not all of us, but we respond to that by saying, you can just go to heaven and not do anything. Like you just, no works, no obedience, no. <laughs> so, so there's a statement that really frustrates me and people often refer to something called cheap grace. Have you heard people talk about cheap grace oh, before? Sure. I, I really hate that phrase. It was I, coined by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I think. Oh, was German. it really? Yeah, oh, well, that's yeah. unfortunate because I love Dietrich Bonhoeffer. <laughs> Maybe that's just a sermon I heard where the guy was referencing Dietrich. I hope it doesn't because because there is no such thing as cheap grace. There is only free grace. Salvation is free. Salvation costs you nothing, but discipleship can be expensive. Discipleship can cost you greatly. And the life of the apostles will show you that your discipleship can cost you a lot. So there's that. There's the transition that takes place is I'm a saved person. I've come to Jesus. My name is written in the book of life. Like I, my eternal life is sure, but the discipleship that that love of God motivates within you to, like we talked about, like to share the gospel because it is the good thing that's come within us. And there's also, there's a supernatural component as well. Like Ephesians 2 talks about that we are Christ's workmanship created to do good works. So there's a recreation that takes place when Christ comes into us that enables us to do things that are good for him. But it's something that is that is the result of our salvation, not the cause of it. So I'm going to ask you a, a bit of a tricky question, and I agree with everything that you've said. But if you're an Israelite in Israel and... Like in the past, like ancient Israel? An Israelite in ancient, I was going to say in Egypt in ancient times. So you're okay. an enslaved Israelite and you're in Egypt, and this guy Moses has come and he's declared that God wants those people free and, Mo, and Pharaoh's resisting and the plagues fall. And then finally the last plague falls and... Pharaoh says, okay, they can go. You guys can get out of here. And the reason why your firstborn son isn't dead if he's not dead is because you took the blood of the Pascal lamb and you applied it to the doorposts of your house and all that. And the angel came by and you were saved from death, right? So salvation has been given. The, The people are saved and the back of Pharaoh is broken. And Moses, the, the savior is saying, okay, let's go. He's the, you know, typical savior. He's the symbol of Jesus. And he's like, okay, everyone, the blood covered you. Let's get out of here. Can the people be saved if they don't obey? It's an interesting way to phrase it. It's a, it's tricky, isn't it? I told you I'd put you on the spot. Yeah, because I, I, I don't agree know. with everything you said. I'm just throwing this out there because it's something I've thought of. I, I don't know if I would say it as if, if they don't obey as opposed to if they don't accept the invitation. And that might be a really watered down way to phrase it. Like I'm not, but true. Yeah. Had they wanted to stay in Egypt, I'm sure Pharaoh would have allowed them to. It, had you gone, look, I'm not really sure about Moses. He's, <laughs> he killed that guy that one time. He's a bit of a weirdo. He's an old dude. I just, I'm not interested. Can I please stay here? I'm just happy to keep making bricks. That probably would have been an option, right? Yeah. And maybe the better way to say it would be, can you leave Egypt if you don't leave Egypt? Exactly. So you're saved. You've been saved. You've been saved from the death, the consequences of death, which are coming from the death angel, the destroying angel. And the blood covers you. You're covered by the blood. And now Moses says, okay, let's get out of here. And if you want to be saved from Egypt, you just, you put your clothes on, you grab your stuff and you walk out. Perfection is not required, but to leave Egypt, you have to leave it. And if you choose to stay, God honors your free will. He saved you from death. You can stay there if you want, or you can follow if you want. And if you follow, that means you have to leave your house. You have to leave the Egyptian food. You're, you're taken off. Sure. And then you're you're in the wilderness. And then I was thinking. And then they complained the whole way though. (laughs) They complain the whole way. That's right. Yeah. And then, so it's almost like salvation, it's it's simple, but it's complicated. So Jesus has saved us from the immediate consequences of sin, which is death. And who hasn't been saved in that sense? Like every human being who's ever lived has been saved on that level. Because 1 Timothy 4, it says God is the savior of all men, yeah. especially of those that believe. And I think what Paul's talking about is that every human person who's ever lived did not receive the immediate 
results of sin, which is death, which means it. So how was he being given life? The good news, Jesus yeah. made atonement for them and was giving them life in spite of the fact that they didn't deserve to live, right? Yeah. Look, the, the whole Exodus story is a real crazy thing because, yes, I totally believe these are real events that happen to real people and we shouldn't over-spiritualize events that are recorded in Scripture that is history. But at the same time, you can't deny that there's a whole massive parallel between the Exodus experience and the salvation experience and the, the promised yeah. land and, and what that is a symbol for and all this sort of stuff. Like, before um, First Corinthians talks about it, they use it as a template for teaching. Sure, yeah, yeah. And some of the people got their kicking and screaming the whole way. It's a, so maybe it doesn't parallel perfectly in all points, but yeah, I would still have to still say the same thing that they went, they, they got on they went. and they went. That's right. And so I'm, I'm just building on the whole idea of the gospel because just in response to somebody who says, what about works? What about belief? What about whatever? My response to that is that God honors your free will. If you choose to be saved, you're going to be saved. If you accept salvation, you're not saved because of anything that you've done. You're, you were saved 2,000 years ago in Jesus, right? Like you died yeah. with Jesus because all your sins and evils were placed upon him. And so your evil nature, your evil acts, your evil self was all put on Jesus and was done away with. And he was resurrected on your behalf. And you, in a sense, were resurrected with him. And your spiritual renewal is in him. And you, if you believe that, if you accept that, you you have the status of saved because he saved you 2000 years ago apart from yourself without your works and all that stuff and now all that's happening in your confession of him is that the spirit is working in you that's afforded by him and you're yeah. acknowledging that you're saved yeah. you're accepting that you're saved and then that's going to be accompanied by works and God honors your free will and if you come to the point of acknowledging that you were saved in Jesus and accepting that and then rejecting that and saying, okay, I'm going to stay here and die in the wilderness or I'm going to stay in Egypt. That's up to you. You're welcome to do that. But the act of following Moses out of Egypt is not meritorious. It doesn't make you worth saving. You're yes. already saved because God sent the plagues. God provided the sacrifice. God provided Moses. That's all done. You couldn't save yourself. You were saved by God. But then now just be saved. Just accept it. And I guess that's the whole huge difference between our understanding of how salvation works and how a Calvinist would understand how salvation works. Whereas we say that we have a choice whether we are saved or not, whereas a Calvinist wouldn't. That, that because, right. because making the choice would be considered a work. A work. That would, and, and there can't be any works involved in the salvation process where we say, no, well, that goes against God's ability to allow us to choose. That's right. And we just believe that God has restored our capacity to choose through the sacrifice of his son. So our ability to choose is really a gift from him because we lost our ability to choose in the fall. But since Jesus jumped into our race and fixed things on our behalf, he's restored our ability to choose. So yeah, that, we got to Calvinists. Well, what do you think of that? That too. But yeah. then we've still got to come back to John 12 and acknowledge that even with that part of like that philosophy, yeah. we still have to say that Jesus told us with his own words that there was going to be something that was just incredibly attractive to human beings in the hearts of humanity of the son of God who would die on a cross for people that he didn't know. There would be yeah. something in that, that the human heart in the way that it was created would respond to and say, that's what I need. Amen. Amen. Brother, that's so powerful. And we're going to end with that guys. Thank you so much for tuning in and hanging out with us for a bit. It's been a pleasure, uh, Michael to chat and man, it's a blessing. I always love speaking with you, man. And we should do this again and do like part two. Yeah. I became, because, it's a good time. I want to talk about the guy in John nine who he didn't know much theologically but he had a radical change of his life because he had that encounter with the son of God yeah, yeah. and how that can really inform our evangelistics, you know, Dude. efforts and our ministry. Or, or the demoniac or the woman at the, they're all great examples of people totally. who just, yeah. 
Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks so much again, guys. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. See ya.